It's a good show. Hi guys, welcome to Mormon and the Method. I got oral surgery eight days ago, nine days ago, whatever, fucking last week. And my mouth is making too much spit. So my teeth keep sliding out. So hopefully you can decipher these words uh, through my speech impediment. On Thursday, September 27th, next week, we are going to be at Martini's Above 4th in San Diego, California. On Thursday, October 4th, we are going to be in Indianapolis at Black Circle Brewing Company. Then on the 5th, we are going to be at Planet Ant Black Box Theater in Hamtramck, Michigan. And Saturday, October 6th, we are going to be at North Bar in Chicago. Tickets for all of those, I believe, are available on our website, mormoninthemethhead.com. In addition to that, don't forget to follow our Instagram page. If you're on Facebook, join the Facebook group. We also have a subreddit. And of course, if you're looking for more content, head over to Patreon for $5 a month. You can get all of those bonus episodes. They can change their name all they want, but we ain't changing ours. You're listening to Mormon and the Meth Head. Yeah, get fucked. Get fucked, Russell. <laughs> if you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and just a read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. So the new prophet of the church, like first order, I guess it's not first. He's been prophet for a while. So what third order of business? Uh, it was changing the Mormon name. The well, all right. So when I was, I was, it's like early two thousands. I was younger, and I remember they came out with a statement saying, "We're not going to let people call us Mormons anymore. We want you guys to encourage your friends." This is like something they read in sacrament meeting, a letter from the first presidency of the church saying the the real name of this church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's too long. It is, but like that's the correct name. That's the name that God told uh Joseph to call the church. It's, you know, about it's a it's the Church of Jesus Christ. Mormon is a nickname given to us by our enemies is what people I remember people telling us you know just about the book that we had so they nicknamed us that we don't want to be called that anymore but then they quietly gave up that fight somewhere in like 2008 2012 somewhere in that in that time uh they, they started mormon.org the, the they had a, an ad campaign called like we are like I'm uh, I'm a Mormon that was like a a, a big a big ad campaign they had. They were when when Mitt Romney was running for president. Yeah, they, we were having our quote unquote Mormon moment. We were really embracing Mormonism when the Book of Mormon musical first came out. We were buying ad space in like their programs, and like missionaries were out in front of the theater, you know, like handing out uh, like copies of the Book of Mormon and and stuff. And we were all about being Mormon for a while, but. Uh, Apparently, Russell uh, has had a problem with that the whole time. So now that he's in charge, he's like, oh. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, well, he's like, he's like, the Lord has impressed upon my mind the need to do this. I just, he, my favorite part, though, is that, uh, well, I guess, well, first I'll say, 
when I was when before I was questioning anything, I would believe like, yeah, God is impressed upon the mind of this prophet. This is what God wants. Now, I see just a lot more of the revelations of God are just uh, the opinions of men. Yeah, because you have different dudes who have who value different things, and for you just have to wait till you're in charge or till you get a chance to speak at conference or whatever, and then you can you can. Uh, uh, tell everyone what god what god really wants it's a uh, it's just so weird to me that they not that long ago did this and then flip-flopped and now f- gone back to it again but they russell addressed uh why like or addressed the uh, the problem with the name being too long yeah. like if it, if it's too long you know church of jesus christ cuz they also doesn't want to say lds which I thought was weird. LDS. It's like you can also just call us the Church of Jesus Christ. It's just like it's just it's just a branding thing to me. Yeah. It's like we want to you know you're seem gonna more you're Christian. gonna copyright get Jesus weird. Christ. Yeah. I think well the the a theory that I have read that resonates with me that makes a lot of sense is that in this day and age the one of the big problems that they're having uh, with retaining membership especially people my age so we're learning all these things that like the that aren't true specifically about the the book of mormon the book of mormon has been the cornerstone of the religion for a very long time right and so there's a theory that uh in order to survive the church understands they're going to have to move away from that book as a as a literal trans uh, a literal account of events like translated by a prophet words of god and just m- more of like a uh an inspired an inspired of, piece yeah. of literature that there's that there are lots of truths in it even if they aren't literal even if they all these things didn't happen there's still a lot of truth uh to be found in the philosophies in the parables, and stuff yeah. in the parables of, of this of this book so like they'll have to move away from Mormonism as a moniker because they, uh, that they're not going to be able to stand on that book the way they used to. They're not right. going to pick that book up the way, uh, Jeffrey Holland did and be like, if you want to leave this church, you're going to have to crawl over under, you know, you have to turn your back on this book if, in order because yeah. everyone's, everyone, it's, it turns out it's really easy to turn your back on that book. <laughs> it's really, you're just like, Oh, uh, oh god that's a lot like christianity in the bible yeah mm-hmm. yeah this is that like that is the that's the conversation ender you know when you're debating anything it's just like it is in the word it's like well i mean uh, what does mormon mean if it's the book of mormon and you're not mormons what the what the fuck is a mormon what do you mean well they well, more, like Mormon in Mormon, the context of Book of Mormon. Mormon was where did a that dude. word come from? Mormon was, oh, okay. a, was a person. I did not who, know that. Uh, who exists. So the the Book of Mormon is composed of a lot of of, of different uh, books. Right. One of the books is called the the Book of Mormon. Right. Every book is named after the prophet that wrote it, and so it's like all these guys. Starting with with uh, Nephi and Lehi, they've got these plates. That, remember when they cut off that yeah. dude's head? They took his they took his plates and they've been they've been adding to them, you know. And they're writing down all the things of their people, all the revelations that God gave them, uh, all these different stories, all these different histories. And whenever a guy dies, he passes it on to someone else. 
usually a son or, a, or the new prophet, and they write a little bit, right? And Mormon is the is like one of the last guys to write, and he collected up everything, and he abridged all these plates, right? He he read everyone else's books and picked the best parts. So he's the editor of this book, huh. all these different authors. He puts them all together. He spends a lifetime, right? No, not a lifetime. He spends a long time doing this. He's actually not the last person, though, because he does pass the plates on to his son, Moroni, who then is like the last guy alive, the last Nephite alive, because all the, the evil Lamanites have taken over and killed all the, the Nephites. And he's the last good guy left, and he's just wandering the earth with these plates and writing the last few words down and then buries them. And, and that's and what Joseph buries Smith them does. in the Hill Cumorah, which is in uh, upstate New York. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, he walked. He walked a really long way, made it to New York, and buried them there. Uh, and then when Joseph Smith was ready, Joseph Smith had been had already seen God and Jesus Christ and been called as a prophet. And then one night he's like going to bed, and uh, an angel appears to him. And it's the angel Moroni. Moroni, oh. that last guy, the son of Mormon. He's like, dude, have, have I got a treasure for you? Which, by the way, Joseph uh, loved looking for treasure. Uh, he Was had... Moroni Native American or? Yes. Okay. Yes. So in, in, in Mormon uh, lore. Uh, or... I was being sarcastic. This is interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's real. He... Uh... The, the Lamanites and Nephites are the ancestors of Native Americans. Oh, okay. And uh, so they they sailed the ocean blue and came over. They were, they were Israelites who uh, left Israel and sailed to the New World and uh, uh, settled their people there and then built like giant civilizations they lehi and his family show up first right and he has one son named nephi who's a good kid and then he's got another son named uh, layman who's a bad kid and they branch off and they form two different nations the nephites and the lamanites nephites are are typically the good ones uh and lamanites are typically the the bad ones and they just then then the whole book of mormon is like their history in the americas and they they you know have wars and they build cities and they have all these uh adventures and they and they leave behind no archaeological evidence whatsoever (laughs) none there's no there's no record anywhere of this uh which is very nice for uh them to do to allow us to have a real test of faith i feel like you if you honestly try to go camping and leave no trace, that's difficult to do, but possible. Um, if you're going to like go uh, civilizationing and <laughs> still leave no trace, god damn. Like, I mean, their recycling is uh, very good. Uh, can't believe it. But they, yeah, they, so anyway, Moroni, yes, is... Is a ghost. Na- is Native American. Okay. A Native American ghost. Uh, uh, Joseph's family farm was built on a burial ground. So they're oh, on, no. cool. The plot's a <laughs> poltergeist. <laughs> um, but uh, he told him where the, like, the plates were. So he had to be the one to show up because he's the one that, that buried them. So he was like, oh, they're over under that rock. You can go get them. 
And so then he pulled out the plates. Gotcha. And even there, even in those plates, there are more things than what. So like Mormon abridged stuff. But even from there, Joseph still only took a small part. There's a whole other big part that Joseph never revealed. There's, you know, more to be discovered. You know, like when an artist uh, like dies before their time and you're like, man, I wonder what kind of what other albums yeah. uh, he could have produced. You know, yeah. we'll never know what Joseph could have done with his the sequel Just to the change the name of the church over and over again. <laughs> That's what it feels like every time there's a new Mormon announcement. I'm like, do they just feel like they have to make an announcement and they're just bad at like, you know, cause if I was uh, making up things to say, God said, you know, it would be entertaining. You know, <laughs> if you came to the, to God's newsletter run by Jessa Reed, there would be some pretty fucking interesting things in there. But I feel like it's like God has impressed upon me that we should start wearing brown pants to yeah. church. No, it's, it's like, like wow, it's like this is God, God impressed the first the first order of business the new prophet had was like we aren't going to call it home teaching anymore. Yeah. We're going to call it ministering. And <laughs> everyone was like, "Ooh, ah." <laughs> Wow. And I was like, God sounds just like a like a picky PR guy. Uh, are you when you when you say God, do you really just mean your PR department? There's there's just one dude that's like, oh uh, yeah, we ran some tests and we think ministering is gonna sound better. God uh, was running focus groups. Right. Fuck. Right. It's very, it's a... Uh, At least Christianity was flashy. The Christianity that I was involved certain in. Certain brands of Christianity, yeah. That's the other thing that is so interesting is that you have... Mormonism is one international thing under this very set-up umbrella where Christianity it has a million different iterations. Like, I was uh, part of what's called non-denominational where uh but it was straight up pentecostal like it speaking in tongues is kind of what sets but i can't remember why we were not pentecostal because there was something else that we believed when i was little i didn't know what a denomination uh it, i just i saw the word demon in it and i was like yep i want the kind of christianity that doesn't have demons <laughs> that makes sense to me if i if i had a if i had a choice between demon christianity and non-denominational i'll pick that one we were pretty into casting out demons. All right, so yeah, in, in in the in the early days of Mormonism, and we'll have to do a whole episode about this, I think. Uh, but the Joseph Smith, so Joseph and his family, well, like all of America in that region in that time period was super into magic stuff. Oh yeah, man. I want this to be a They're whole thing. Yeah, we'll do it another time. But like Joseph used to reveal like cool magic stuff yeah he was like this is what god said uh and it's <laughs> it's always like bullshit <laughs> he was like but he would he, he there was one time where he pointed to a rock and he was like uh they this is when they were like on a on a hike to go to some war or something there's some time where they were like i don't know but he was like uh oh i gotta i I don't remember what the name what the name of this lamanite was but he just start like he points to this rock and just starts pulling shit out of his ass and he's like uh this is the uh the burial place 
of a of a of a brave Lamanite uh, warrior uh, named uh, 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 Bosif. <laughs> Both of Bith, uh, and uh, man, was he cool, right? <laughs> but it's like one of those like easily disproved things because there's just like uh, there's, there's actually nothing under this rock. <laughs> like we oh dug it God. up, there's no bones, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, that's they called him. They called him boneless both both. <laughs> He was, he was a powerful warrior because he had no bones. So he was just flopping around. You couldn't, you couldn't get him. Under doors. You couldn't get him. Uh, oh. But still, he would make these bold claims. Like, but there was, it was very much more magic infused. There was all, there was a lot of uh, early Mormonism uh, had, had such much more interesting shit going on you know like there there were weird practices being like new rituals that uh that god revealed to joseph through the freemasons that he stole from but like <laughs> still like there was new stuff going on like uh sure most of it was about uh uh god wants me to marry all of your wives but uh the it was still cool <laughs> Sorry, you can distract me. I was like, Sorry, I was just like, you, you should have the water. Why do you switch your water and orange juice? I feel with like me? you should have water. You're dehydrated oh. and burnt. Yeah, yeah, it's more important than I just need something to sip on. So I just I need just... something to sip on. Sip on. I thought you were just like, uh, like I said something. You're like, okay, he's had enough. Like, no, there's nothing in the orange, but it's just like a bartender who's like, <laughs> who's like, listen, off. you can have another one if you drink this bottle of water first, okay? But uh, your your Bosif Bith uh, material is so bad that you can't have any more orange juice <laughs> until you drink this bottle of water. I just was about to drink the water, and then I thought he needs the water. That's so, so sweet I of you. Drink, That's uh... sweet. Thank you. Thanks for caring about me, mm-hmm. which is, is new. I don't know. Uh, do you know what I mean, though? <laughs> just the like it's. Uh, uh, so here's the problem with me and Jessa, uh, and it, it it runs deeper than just orange juice. Okay. <laughs> uh, first of all, thank you for your concern, everyone. Yeah. So so we were we uh recorded an episode that we called Fight, uh, which we should have just named it different. But we recorded an episode called Fight and like sat on it for a long time. And then when we felt like it was the right time to do it, we released it. And uh, it never got the reaction that we thought that, excuse me, that we intended, that we thought it was going to, to have. What we meant for it to be was just a, like a, an intimate look at vulnerability, especially from jessa right like, uh, both of us uh trying to do hard things but i think most people just got freaked out that uh that our relationship was different than what they had been thinking it was and we've we got a lot of surprising feedback from it but we still like get you so we we read our iTunes reviews. We love yeah. them. We yeah, love they're them. poetic but we can and beautiful. Always, we can always tell there's a lot of people that listen to 15 episodes and then like leave leave a review after that one. Like it leaves a bad taste 
in, in people's mouths and they will let us know that us trying to be in some kind of relationship is a bad idea and uh thank you <laughs> we know <laughs> we're aware we uh i don't think there's any two people who are more self-aware like spend as much time thinking about themselves as as we do yeah There's a lot of self-analyzing and there is, uh, I think because of the way that we put it in to the podcast at, after 15 episodes, I just don't know. How, I, I was astonished that people were shocked. They're like, well, cause you call yourself friends. And I'm like, yeah, but there's a lot of Easter eggs in there. First of all, but second of all, you just, nobody suspected. Nobody was like, how does this chemistry exist in a platonic friendship? Mm-hmm. between two people who talk about fucking their friends and stuff like i i i didn't expect people to be i can understand it though i feel like i because for a long time i thought we were just gonna be friends with great chemistry you know would you be okay with me saying that uh you were definitely thinking about a relationship before i was i thought at the comedy festival we had feelings for each other i still think that I thought at the comedy festival, but there was a lot like there was there is a connection between us that's beyond romance. There is a uh, friendship connection. When we, between when us. we remet at Big Sky, I felt connected to your soul yeah. immediately. The, just our first conversations was was like you had keys that unlocked me and then and it was uh, and I did this, the same for you. And it was incredible. And it was, wasn't was exactly sexual or romantic. Not that it wasn't, but it wasn't just it – was, it was kind of just like all-encompassing. Right. It was huge. And uh, I didn't know what that to make of that. I still don't know what to make of that. That exactly. is what most people – when you describe it, what most people are like, oh, that's like – the love of your life. Yeah, but uh, that terrifies me, so I won't right, <laughs> say right. it. When yeah. you played me the voicemail that I left you at the end of that week, and I heard myself saying the word love, I was like, say what? I said that? I said that? Yeah. Oh, I, I, my, uh, I, what did I say? I was like, I'm not like in love, love with you, but I think I definitely love you. You know, it's like, yeah. don't get freaked out. Don't by get me freaked saying, out by. Like, yeah. I'm just saying that I love that I love you. <laughs> and then I forgot that 40 hours later. <laughs> Not it was 12 hours later. 12 hours later. It wasn't even 12. It was it was three hours later that I was like, I, I then tried to express some. So the thing is, is at the time I'm married, I'm, I'm married in a polyamorous situation and the marriage was already kind of starting to wind down. So I didn't leave that thinking this is going to be my boyfriend. But I definitely left that thinking, okay, well, that was a fucking four days with someone who now I feel like I've been connected to for eternity. And uh, it's not my first time being in love. So uh, I knew the connection was something. And weirdly enough, you felt connected to my career instantly. And so I did express after you left me a voicemail saying I felt connected to you on a soul level. Don't be freaked out by love. I'm not in love with you, whatever. 
And I didn't know you yet. Like I didn't know you. Uh, I didn't know your personality yet. So then I just try to fire off something similarly. So I sent a message later that day saying, uh, I feel like I'm supposed to write you into the script of my life, which felt and that freaked me out. It felt very you felt very connected to my career. And at the time, I'm like, I live in across the country. I'm married with kids. Like, I'm not thinking relationship by a fucking I'm not even thinking romance at this moment. I definitely am feelings are happening and I'm trying to figure them out. But I I knew you were connected to my career and it felt like, and this is ridiculous, and I've only ever said this to you, but it felt like, because at this time, this is right before I've filmed Meth Piss. I don't know when it's coming out yet, but I'm in this like about about to, I know that it's about to come out. I'm about to have my first credit. People on the internet are going to know who I am. Like I know that my life's about to change. And suddenly that just, that path that I could feel felt like it was my path with you. And I, that was a bizarre feeling. Uh, I get it now. It was a premonition of sorts, but I didn't. And so that's kind of what I was expressing in that moment. But I definitely felt I personally would never say anything like that to someone because that opens me up to rejection. And at this point in my life, I still had never, I had just learned how to directly ask people for things. And I would still only really do that if there was a good chance they would say yes. But I would never say something vulnerable like that. Uh, and risk getting told. And well, I'm glad to know that uh, I, I rejected you immediately. You did. It was. It was. <laughs> it was immediate. And, um, uh, because it, it did. It did sound like all. All I heard was relationship stuff, and all I was thinking was like, "This woman is married and uh, has kids and lives somewhere else, and I uh, don't want a relationship." And uh, mm, mm, oh, thank you. Yeah. I did, no one's ever like. Uh, uh, you've given me a lot of shit for like uh, reacting that way, uh, but it's like, uh, who says I'm going to write you into the book of my life? That's heavy. That's heavy. Yeah. But you're like, I feel I like only... I'm supposed to write you into the script of my life. This was after like a, this is a very magic week of awakening, alien. You know, like we talked about a lot of this kind of stuff. I feel like if you, I had talked been... about my childhood sexual trauma with you. Yeah. Uh, you were one of the first people I had told and I had, like before you I told like my best friends. Yeah. My 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 surrogate sister and and then you. Yeah. No, it was a very magical week and I feel like if I had said I had I not texted you, had I said to your face in the vapor of the magic that was happening that week, I feel like if I had said it, it would have landed different. But once we were separated and texting but I really felt like safe to say that because you had just said you love me on a soul level uh, two hours before that. So that was my first. That was the beginning of what became when fear of intimacy met fear of rejection. Right. Which is, uh, I mean, those that day kind of sums up everything else that, that that's happened uh, since then. I think that we are attracted to each other, connected to each other on deep levels and are both very scared of each other at the same, or, you know, maybe not as much today as we were, yeah. but we scared of each other and hurt each other in, in different ways. And, uh, it's, 
been challenging and we don't know what we're doing and we don't know what's for the best and what's what's not and we don't know how to quit each other <laughs> we don't want to but we're just like there's a, a lot of problems that we have with each other that we face with each other but we just can't stop caring about the other person and we can't negate the positive feelings that we have and we just it just feels um inevitable like out of our control not really up to us <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah uh and so uh yeah like i said thank you thank you for your concern <laughs> we are also we're also concerned <laughs> We don't know. Uh, we have tried to stop on multiple uh, occasions. I think. All right, what do you today describe? How do you describe our relationship? What would it? What would you say? I think now, I think the the hardest was in the the spring. Um, if I would describe when we the the first week of of being around each other, it felt like we came into each other's lives with pieces of each other to exchange. Mm -hmm. And I think we really thought that that was going to just be these inspiring conversations. And cause that's what it was the first week, you know, the, the big, the big shift of the week of big sky was that previous to that, nobody could touch me. Nobody could touch me without it feeling like someone was setting me on fire. And while I was doing alien awakening shit with you and like talking about your trauma and about your divorce and everything else, just shit that I do, have done with a million people. And I always feel like a little crush on them, which was kind of, I always thought the reason that I get a little crush on people that I'm uh, awakening is because that gives me a dog in the fight. You know, it's just, it's an affection I feel for people. It makes me more compassionate and empathetic, whatever. So I really was writing it off to that the entire time. But the very first night before anything else, you set your hand on my knee and it felt like I wasn't attracted to you. Like I did, I, you were Aaron Woodall. I didn't think of you like that at all. And so you set your hand on my knee and you were talking, like just to talk to me because we were like talking shit in the back of a show. <laughs> and I, the whole time I was like, why is my body not registering that hand on me? I wasn't thinking like, oh yeah, Aaron, I did not, I did, you were, I didn't think of you. Like it was just like, and I, so you're talking and I remember I'm just watching your hand on my knee. Ordinarily I would be figuring out how to politely move my leg without you noticing that I was recoiling from you. Like this would be a whole thing going on in my head. And instead it felt like my own hand on my knee. And I think by like the second day where you had asked for like hugs when we were talking about your sister and I'm sure we've talked about this on the podcast, but during the hugs, I, the first hug I like, like, okay, he wants to hug. We're going to hug him. Not make it weird. And like you guys ever listen to this podcast and, and, and Jess is just dropping so much shit on you that you're just like, whoa, I have to pause. And yeah. you're like, I don't know if I can listen to any more before I start like break. I'm not sure if I'm ready to change. I'm going to break down and cry. It was like that, but in person. And I was just like, can you just stop saying words for a minute? And then I was like, I just, I feel like I need a hug. Could I have a hug? <laughs> and I got up off the couch and thought, 
uh yeah okay we're gonna hug we're gonna hug now we're gonna hug okay and then during the hug I felt like I wanted to stay in the hug and then while we were talking moving on I was I caught myself thinking I hope he asked for another hug and then you did come over to the couch and you were sitting at the bottom of the couch with your arms up on the couch and I remember moving my leg over none of this is sexual at this point there's no I it was day it was almost the end of the festival before I was like oh am I physically attracted to him like it was it was not that didn't come till the end of the festival and I I remember like wanting to be next to you because it's been years since someone's touch didn't feel like I was being electrocuted and um so that was a big shift for me and I remember then we're by the way we're like running a festival at the same time while all this is happening but you're running a festival I'm just kind of like dicking around (laughs) um we were at breakfast and I told you uh I've never had an experience like this before but I feel like I want you in my space and so um this was we were both having this like crazy uh life-changing experience with each other and I think that when we both were like we came into each other's lives to give each other something to give each other missing pieces of the other one I think we thought it was just always going to be easy and awesome and what we have done yeah like when I told you in that voicemail that I loved you and I was like don't get freaked out I don't mean to like like I I was meaning like a sister love like yeah. I felt like you were a long lost twin sister of mine that had all these opposite pieces of me uh and it was just amazing and I immediately cared about you the way uh you know I care about other best friends and stuff that I had and so I wasn't I didn't want a, a relationship with you at all I just I just knew I loved you. Like uh it didn't like not and it wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't marital love and it felt very safe. Like I felt safe in that space. Yeah. Where I was like, "Oh, you know, this is just uh two best friends or something like that." It did feel and still feels like a uh, best friendship. I've only been in relationships with people I was in love with and I'm only I I do have a friendship based uh, relationship usually but I think we left when we left Big Sky and then we uh, were in constant contact we were in non-stop contact and then I could tell by the amount of thinking about you that I did and talking about you that I did that okay I am falling in love with this person and, and I and you've pointed out how much I talked about you as well in that period but I mean I was also talking about Blade Runner twice as much. And, <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to... Uh, uh, find I'm, you a man who <laughs> looks to, at you the way that Aaron looks at Blade Runner. <laughs> I, that will be uh, hard to do. I don't know. Uh, but good luck finding that man, sure. But I like I just... I didn't... Uh, I wasn't going to marry Blade Runner, so right. I wasn't thinking about... So uh, here, we, uh, here we go with Mary. I... It was just about feelings. It was just about a connection. It was about feelings. And when we would talk, there were a lot of other symptoms. There was a lot of other things that I was like, you do like you have feelings for like, but I'm not going to tell you how you feel about me. I have a fucking fear of rejection. A B I'm also like speaking into your life on uh, a lot of things. Like you're very vulnerable to me at this point. You are, uh, you are asking my advice on things. And so there were times, every time that you would have like 
some type of exciting revelation that like built up your self-confidence, the first thing out of your mouth was like, I love you. Like you would call me and tell me the good thing that happened. And then the first thing out of your mouth was I love. And we would feel very connected. The second thing, but okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You would tell me this first. And then literally the first thing that you said was Um, the first thing you said after. And I, I don't know. I don't know what I wanted because at this point, so that my marriage is kind of wrapping up. I mean, my marriage is wrapping up beforehand, but I really want, like, I, like, I don't know, a relationship moving into another, like, I've been in relationships most of my life and I'm not someone that wants that. I'm not someone, when I'm single, I'm not like, I wish I, I've never thought that. I've never in my life thought I wish I had a boyfriend. I fucking have one. I've been in relationships, it feels like, most of my life. I guess I've probably been single the normal amount. But to me, it's just like, oh, having my own place and doing my own thing and not answering to anyone and not fucking building my life around someone else's fucking uh, weird habits and, and hangups like that. This sounds amazing. So as it became obvious that, you know, Jason and I probably weren't going to stay together, uh, I was very excited about that. That didn't negate the fact that there was clearly uh, feelings between us. But you expressed you would you would feel very close and I would, I guess, take something that you said wrong. And so then I would say something. I, don't, I, would, I would get vulnerable. I would think we were both being vulnerable. And then I would say something that would freak you out. Mm. And then you would, you would recoil. And then I would be rejected. And I could not believe how many times I, that that happened because it, or I would push you out of my life. I would just push you out of my life. Like you, you caused the pain that I have, I have successfully avoided my entire life and you are a source of it. So I would just cut you out of my life and I can't, like I couldn't, this is before the podcast. You say normally you would have. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. Uh, I would never let anyone do that. I, cause it was a, it was a pain. Uh, it was the boogie monster. Why do I say boogie monster? It was the, uh, boogeyman under the bed. Like it, rejection was something. Boogie that, monster is technically scarier than a boogeyman. Yeah. I, it's the, yeah. the boogie monster is what chases the boogeyman. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, so I, um, in that window of time before, uh, we started the podcast, you, you, had relationships with other women you had feelings uh at one point for someone else and i definitely had feelings for you and definitely worked very hard to not to just be your friend because no matter what like i'm your best friend and if uh you told me tomorrow that you were marrying someone else like i would need a minute but not i would just choke it down and it i it wouldn't really i mean yeah oh because i'm getting married tomorrow (laughs) cool uh (laughs) (laughs) oh you're such a bullshitter oh god all right so let's back up a second we met at that thing in october and Mm -hmm. we didn't see each other again until january so when you're talking about that like those revelations that i'm having and uh, us talking on the phone also us like planning out this podcast idea that i had and me talking about feelings that i had for other people and dating other people that's all in that in that window yeah was that three months yeah, excuse me. Um, and in that time, I only thought of you as a friend. And you were, like, falling for me and uh, working really hard to just keep it friendly. But, I, you know, I could feel stuff. And I knew when I – could, I could feel things, you know. But it was when we then went on tour for the first time in January that uh, – 
well, that was the first time we had sex. Yeah. And that, uh, maybe if we had never, ever had sex that like we could have, you know, kept all these other feelings and experiences at bay. But then once we did that, like, uh, sex was what it was. I don't know. Cathartic doesn't seem like the right word, but it was just, uh, the same thing like with keys and opening stuff up. I felt like nothing sex with you has opened me up in, uh, ways that, other sex has never come close, right? Like, and I just, uh, I think you would say mm-hmm. same thing. And I think what you're saying is about being friends and how we're going to, I I don't know how, I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know how I exactly how I feel about you or if it's, I do know, and I'm too scared to say it, or I do know, or I don't really know, but on some level I do. And I'm too, uh, Oh shit! I had another thing to say, but I, so but I'm too scared. I don't know, but I think we that overall the the purpose I see in this relationship is to uh, make each other whole, and uh, that we have these pieces that like the other person needs, and that we can provide experiences and challenges that the other person. Uh, has needed for years or something. And I feel like we will, we began as friends and we will end as friends. But like, there are certain pieces that can only be exchanged in this kind of a boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. There are lessons and challenges and, and things that can only, that we were never going to see or find or experience uh, unless we opened up this chapter. I think this chapter will close eventually, but like, and then we will still be friends afterwards, but like completely altered people because of it. Right. And, and so that, I feel like that happened in January or at least that, that started, that took the, the first uh, steps, at least for me. And, but when we did, I mean, like, I had these – I am, like you said, scared of intimacy. That's what I'm afraid of for – because of my divorce, my marriage, because of my abuse that I – like, I'm just now coming to terms with and stuff and for maybe other reasons. I don't know. But in the beginning, you felt safe because you were so cool and detached. Yeah. You were so cool and just like, I don't care, man. Like, I'm confident in myself and I don't really, you know, mind uh, and whatever. And uh, no, nah, I'm like, the last thing <laughs> I want is a relationship. Shit, man. Like, I'm just, like, you were just playing it so cool. Well, that is you, uh, uh, the just of it that everyone else I date has to deal with. Exactly. Yeah. Like, everyone else is like, Jess, uh, I'm in love. And you're like, just chill. <laughs> you know i don't really i don't really do that and i was like well perfect that's exactly uh what i need right now that's that's wonderful uh and uh it uh it didn't stay like that no. uh for very long and the, we moved into like the 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 spring and it got uh bad yeah it got it got real bad and that's uh it was like, I think, you know, it, it, in March when we recorded that episode called Fight, 
that uh, that was like some like the first time that weekend you had conversations with me about like, hey, I need more from you because this back and forth shit that you're doing is hard. Because like at the time I was like, uh, well, scared of everything and would take distance when I wanted it. You know, when I got scared, I would be like, okay, uh, I'm going to back off. Right. And the end of March was like the first time you talked to me about how hard that was on you. And I thought about how unfair that was of me. And I made efforts to change. I didn't want to keep doing the stuff I had done to other women where I was just emotionally available when I felt like it and then unavailable all the rest of the time. Right. And I didn't want to play this uh, emotional yo-yo game. And I wanted to uh, give you, I mean, you were giving me so much. I wanted to give you what you needed and even if it was hard. And so I tried and it only got worse. I think the lesson there, the, the part of me that you gave myself there, because this is after free love, which is a, a way that I lived in a marriage where I wasn't off the chain. I, di- I didn't feel like this. I, I wasn't crazy vulnerable. Uh, in the conversation and fight, I, I was very difficult for me to openly express that uh, I felt rejected when you didn't want to have sex with me. And I felt, you know, that I I admitted to having feelings that then gave you the opportunity to reject me. You didn't, but like by the end of fight, I think I say that this is my shit. And so while you're thinking I'm going to work on this, I'm thinking after I've heard myself say everything, like you can't make him responsible for your feelings. It will end bad. And you then tried, you came a little bit close and there's something every time you do that, there's something in me that then wants to break out this fucking list that I don't think about the rest of the time of all these things that I quote unquote need. And it, it's almost like that old love program comes back because the rest of the time, like when you, when you're distant, or we're in a place where you uh, don't want this or whatever, you know, and then I have to be honest with myself. If your two options are him some of the time or him not at all, which one are you going to pick? And it's him some of the time. Well, then shut the fuck up about the rest of the shit because you want to create this third option that only exists if he wants it to exist. I can't change what you're capable of. I can't what what fucking good is anything if I'm just thinking about what you're not giving me like I need to be giving that to myself and if I enjoy you uh a little bit of the time then and that's what you're capable of giving me then take it and it in the spring you tried to come a little bit closer I wasn't fucking ready and you weren't he's like you were you asked no, me to I, come close you I asked me to come that. close no, no, no i don't no, mean I'm you not. did it wrong oh sorry uh i'm not fighting with you i'm just yeah. saying the, it's surprising me to hear you uh say that like that the problem was that you weren't ready because i felt like you had waited months for and you're like uh standing there waiting for me yeah and uh then like i finally conceded and i gave you and i'm like okay 
uh, I'll do these things. And then there were more things that you yep. needed. And then yep. I tried to do those things. And then there were more things. It was just like we were fighting every few days. I felt like there was just always uh, like another another big fight where I just felt like I can't be good to her. Like every everything, like nothing. I I can't find a way to make her feel better to make. I think if I feel bad and I make you fix it. That doesn't mean that, like, uh, we had something recently where it, it was like, uh, yeah, if we just tweak this one specific tiny thing here and just uh, then I will deal with the rest of it. I also didn't understand. This is before I learned anything about fear of intimacy. So it all just felt like rejection. You pulling away feels like you're pulling away because you realize that I'm disgusting. You pulling away feels like you, uh, uh, you're pulling away because uh, you... It just was rejection. It was only registering as rejection. One of the examples that I think I have referenced, the big thing in fight, there was a second part of fight where it was about sex. It was about if I initiated sex, it didn't work. Also, this is like the fourth time we'd seen each other since January. But uh, And it wasn't until later that I realized that that is just about your sexual abuse and that if you're not in a place where you feel you're not the same thing as every other dude I've been with I can't just reach over someone can't just reach over and grab your dick and you're down with it uh maybe because at some point in your life someone just reached over and grabbed your dick when it wasn't okay so it's a completely different experience for you and being a woman and a survivor of sexual abuse like uh, how that never registered to me. Why didn't it register to me? Because I wasn't thinking about how to take responsibility for my own feelings. I was just thinking about, well, you should do this because I'm admit. And I've spent most of my life protecting myself and advocating for myself and not letting anyone treat me bad and kicking people in the nuts and running the fuck away if they uh, ever did try to treat me bad. But like, that's not what this is about. This is about being open. This is about being vulnerable. I feel like we're very, very attracted to each other and we are standing in a room and standing in between us is all of the baggage that we've ever collected since childhood, all of our fears and insecurities and walls. And every once in a while we get a glimpse of what it's like if we didn't have all those things in between us and we get, we get time where we get to live in that bliss and then it's time to clear stuff out again. And then everything, every conflict that we have is like, we don't bicker about anything. Like we don't like surface level shit. We get along great. Uh, we navigate around each other's stuff very well. But everything that has ever been conflict between us has been like deep seated emotional programming, baggage, trauma. And that is where I think we give each other pieces of each other because there are things I just would never let I've never I've never cared about someone enough in my life to let them reject me so I was never going to get better I was never going to face that fear because there was just never anyone on the planet that I wouldn't just cut out of my life but I can't cut you out of my life so I just have to face that fear and I have and I already reap daily benefits from how much rejection and a lot of it was perceived rejection but how much how many of those fears I faced to get to you already is paying off in other areas of my life so I think the original it feels like a relationship like 
is the is the finish line or something but it's it's so deep and so profoundly magical what this dynamic has done in my life in less than a year that is like I just don't I can't fully articulate it to anyone but you you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so I didn't know anything about fear of intimacy I don't know how it even yeah so let me get tackle this one I this has been on my mind a lot lately because I I just only recently coming to terms with how scared I am of someone loving me and I hate it. I hate it. It's hard. I don't, the, it's hard to accept compliments from people. Like I would like, I just am now coming into focus of like who I am. Right. And coming to like myself, and I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever loved myself until recently. And I'm just starting to get good at that. Um, and I, obviously I'm conflicted by it. It's not, when I say this, it's not a complete blanket statement, but I don't want anyone to love me. It's so much easier if they don't. I feel like if someone loves me, I don't know, that's just this, you're scared of being rejected and being uh, left alone and I'm scared of someone being too close. I just, be, I feel like a fraud. I feel like they uh, are wrong. They'll find out that they're wrong and then they'll leave and it will hurt worse. I feel like Tabitha got to know the real me and then told me that she was miserable. Tabitha got to know me better than anyone ever. Showed her all the parts of myself. I gave her all the parts of myself. And she told me that I was seriously emotionally and mentally damaged. And that she worried uh, that I that it would ooze out onto our son. And like that fucked me up. And I don't want anyone to get to know me i don't want anyone to see what i see in me and it's just easier to live if like no one's getting inside of me and no one's uh judging me and it's like i judge myself enough i don't want to get close to anyone where they can tear me apart from the inside again and I don't want to give away any pieces of myself like when I used this imagery already but like we were very codependent my ex and I and we were like two trees that that grew into one just twisting like our branches twisting intertwined and then when you can't separate them cleanly after that. Yeah. So when she left, she like ripped away parts of myself and took them with her and I'll never get them back. It didn't feel like at least at that time. And I feel like I'm a, I I, I am affectionate. At least I was affectionate and I am emotional and 
I like sharing things, you know, that's why I have podcasts like this where I share so much about myself, but like, I'm more conscious now of the fact that if I share th- something with someone, uh, they could just rip that away from me and take it and I'll never get it back and I'll just be a broken thing again. And like, do I want to do that again? Do I want to go through that again? I think I tell myself a lot of like, oh, I, 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 I'll push people away so that uh, they won't get hurt by me in the end. They won't be disappointed in me by the at the, at the end because I'm sure that they will. That's inevitable. But the deeper truth is like, I don't want them to hurt me. I don't want to get hurt again. I'm just a little scared baby uh, that doesn't want to uh, go through that again. And like you thought every time that I took distance, you felt like I hated you. And I was disgusted by you and wanted and like, ugh, how awful am I if he just he he takes a look at me and and wants to run away. But the only thing I didn't like about you is how much you loved me. That's it. I couldn't stand uh, the way you looked at me because it felt it felt so wrong and false and 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 scary like I don't love feels like a trap to me it feels like like my it sets off alarms in my head uh when when you compliment me and you look at me and i like like shudder it feels claustrophobic i feel claustrophobic about love or and i want to and i want to get away from it uh you just it's either like either if you feel that way about me, either you're dumb, you're so dumb uh, that you think that, uh, and that's like unattractive, or you're um, a liar. You're you're conniving. You're scheming. You want something from me. You you need me to start a podcast or something with like and like. There's just this is a trap. This isn't real and no good can come of this. And so like I would and I and again, like I know that there's another part of me that knows that's not true, right? right so I didn't yeah. like just leave, but I would take distance. I'd take a step back. And then you in those moments were like afraid of, of me rejecting you, would then like try to show me how much you loved me. Like, you know, you would do, want to do something you to to get me back, but that would then trigger my fear of intimacy, and I would just want to leave more. Like you know, it was just this this yeah. ugly cycle for a while in the spring. I think. Well, the the first the real showdown between fear of intimacy and fear of rejection was you would take distance and while you were taking distance there's a way that you take distance that I didn't understand I now read a lot about fear of intimacy and uh but when it was first happening I was freshly in love and so I felt uh, what I say on maybe it's you I felt like a toddler holding a fire hose because you have all that like fresh brand new infatuation which is uh mostly gone but like that that first beginning love where 
usually both people are in like a trance of of whatever and so when you would take distance it felt like it never existed and it was very it was it was scary and then that's when my uh my inner voice that I talked about in other podcasts is not a critic because I have very high self-worth so this would show up and be like are you gonna let him treat you like this you gonna let him treat you like this he's obviously doesn't actually give a fuck about you he's just blah 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 same paranoid thoughts uh but not triggered by your affection triggered by your distance like this is proof here we go right now like he's you know he's doing this because he can only hold this facade up for so long so you would go take space and then once you felt safe you would come back and by the time you came back I was fully ready to cut your head like I had listened to this voice and I was now ready to defend myself and there was a uh, only one time uh, twice, I guess, back to back, where uh, it I was fully under the influence of this voice and believed this voice to be myself. This is the beginning of those anxiety attacks happen after this, those weekends of anxiety. And uh, you came back after taking distance and I, I was suspicious. I was paranoid. I was, uh, I, you had activated uh, this exchange had activated the fear of rejection and you were now going to get treated the way that every other person in my life uh, who tried to reject me got treated. And if I perceived that somebody was headed for the door, so I've never been dumped because if I think if I, if I'm constantly collecting data in my, just my brain is just constantly collecting clues and looking at, looking for context clues and, and inflection and voice and things mm-hmm. and closeness and, and how many messages and blah, blah, blah. Like this is all program running in the back of my head, assessing my uh, safety at all times. And if there is something that looks like I might not be safe in this situation, I will just eliminate the, the thing. Like I just, it's very, very difficult to reject me because I will just trample you and get to the door first. And so by the time you came back around after a few days, I just was, was ready for an attack. And so that was the first time that you ever saw that side of me. I told you about it. Yeah, this was the spring. This was yeah, like when I said that things just got worse. Was like, uh, yeah. yeah, like when this was like when I was like, I'm like ready to try. I'm yeah. ready to try to to be more intimate. Yeah. And uh, was met with hostility. Yeah, so that's what I mean. I wasn't right. Like I wasn't, I hadn't faced. The only way I was going to face that part of myself is was in swimming in a pool of rejection. This was the first time that that defense mechanism didn't serve me. Every other time in my life, it's gotten me out of terrible relationships. It's it's kept me from allowing people to treat me like shit, staying in jobs where people didn't treat me right. It has only ever served me. And this is the first time that these walls, that these defense mechanisms, that these weapons were, were costing me something that I wanted. And so this triggered a very painful era for us but a a monumental era of growth for me because this is where and this is where the weekends of anxiety came from was this was like we I decided like oh this has to go and then this part of me was like you can't get rid of me I am the only thing protecting you from getting constantly hurt what the fuck because this is a I can I can track down this part of myself 
there was a point, my name was Jessica when I was a kid, and there was a point as a young teenager where I decided to change my name to Jessa, and I wrote letters to baby Jessica, you're dead, you are weak, fucking, uh, you let all of this stuff happen on your watch, and this stuff will never happen again, like a very dissociated uh, moment, and my whole life. Man, your parents should have let you just like watch more TV as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> The projects that you were working on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I were, I did watch a lot of TV. But I um, I developed this, this, uh, I, this protector around that age. And it had served me. It had just served me. And this was the first time you were the first time it cost me something. And I, I had to give it up. And so I fought. I fought for months. I spent weekends crying in anxiety in my room uh facing this part of myself that was standing in uh between me and you and my next strategy after i worked through all that was to then come at you rather than attack you uh when you've taken distance is try to love you to death during the distance which was also uh the wrong strategy and at I want to, can I read something real quick out of the fear of intimacy book that I'm reading? Go for it. Yeah. But right before this, it talks about when you're a child, the good things, the good impressions, it's not even something that necessarily your parents tell you, but your impressions of who you are based on childhood stuff. So for you, I think church would have played a big role in this also Mormonism, but uh, that that gets saved as some of your self belief, but that the negative things become that critical companion the negative things become a part a detached part of you that bullies you um, but a deep part of your programming now it's talking about someone trying to love you as an adult when you have that it is actually painful on an emotional level to see oneself as more or better than one thought oneself to be in the past challenging this negative identity is anxiety provoking most people don't feel the full anxiety directly. If they did, they could identify it. They would think, it really scared me when I realized he or she loved me or when I got that special raise or promotion. When their core identity is disturbed by positive events, people tend to react with suspicion and paranoia. Nailed it. They will fight to the death if they are seen in too positive of a light by someone whom they love and admire. If the lover persists and survives the testing stage, progress is possible. Also, I hate the word lover so much. Um, I think I can see this active in my younger love experiences before I like loved myself. I could see where I blew things up because it didn't resonate. So I it felt suspect. You know, it usually manifested in, you know, they, they were relationships that got toxic really easy. But I wanted to read that. So it's a book that I'm reading now because you said almost verbatim. <laughs> yeah. That. Uh, I think it took me a long time to realize that your your distancing doesn't have anything to do with me. I mean, it's it's reflected on me, but I didn't have this concept that if you loved me, um, you wouldn't want to take space. It wouldn't. I mean, I think that's part of that's true. I think if I if I was healthy and loved you then I, I, I wouldn't need 
too, but it's just, it is, it is just a reflection on me. It's just like, I can't, it's so, it's, I mean, right now it's still, it's just, it's hard for me to say, I love you. It's hard for me to say girlfriend, even in my head. Like, it's hard for me to like, because I feel like if I, if you say that, I just also feel like it's, it's, it's finite. It's, it's, it's temporal and it won't last. And if you put that on the table, when the inevitable end comes, that's just another thing that you're going to lose. It's another thing that's going to make it the end that much worse. If I say, I love you. If I say, yes, you are my girlfriend, then, then like we've started something and that can only end. That can only be taken away at that point. It can only, uh, get fucked up after that. You can't get better. Like it'll just, if you begin something, you just, that's the beginning of the end, you know? And so I, it's strange to me when I'm like, listen, well, I don't know if I love Jessa. Let me see if I can describe how I feel. And then I describe exactly how I feel. And people go, well, uh, I don't know. Have you uh, looked up the definition of love? <laughs> and like, that's, uh, you're describing exactly how people feel when they're in love. And I go, <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, let me, uh, let me try that again. Uh, uh, and then I like, you know, I try to describe it again. And they go, uh, all right, well. Uh, you're now you're just listing synonyms of love. <laughs> it's like you went from the dictionary to the thesaurus, uh, and and I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, all right, you're clearly uh, an idiot. You're not getting this. It's just it's I uh, deny it at uh, at every turn because I just it doesn't compute. It doesn't work. It doesn't. I don't know. It feels so. It's just I feel immense guilt over what I can't give you. And I feel immense anxiety over it. And I just think, uh, you don't deserve this. And I don't deserve all the good things that you're giving me. You don't deserve to this kind of treatment like that you, you do nice thing after nice thing after nice thing. And work on making me feel better and boosting my self-esteem and at every turn I don't know you're just so generous to me and then I repay you by running away from that I repay you by you know I don't know the things that I tried to I felt so dumb in the beginning because no, you didn't see any of the things that I did and uh, because they were so tiny they were so small but they were huge for me. I was like, well, you know, I did that. That I haven't, I didn't tell anyone that, but I told you, or I don't know. I didn't. Like, it's just the, just the fact that I kept coming back, uh, you know, uh, yeah. I was like, I wouldn't come back for, and I wanted you to give me credit for those things, you know, but in comparison to what, you give me, they just feel so dumb and small and inadequate. I don't know. I think for a while, I just wanted you to admit that you were in love with me. Like I was like, I don't I, like, and then every time we would have conversations, you're like, I don't want to marry you. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm 
never getting, I've already done it twice. I'm never getting married. I'm not talking about marriage and I don't need, uh, there are reasons that a title would be better, but it's not, you know, I'm, for, I'm not 25. I'm 41. I'm not, there's not this, I'm not racing. Wait, to you're some... how old? <laughs> Fuck. I'm not a, you know, I'm not, if it wasn't, if it wasn't this right now, there wouldn't be a relationship for a long time. Like, cause I just don't, I've never been someone who wants relationships for relationships sake cause they're fucking work and uh, I have to be in love. But also I would have been fine with not being in love for a long time. And um, so when you would say like, I can't give you uh what you want or uh for a while you like when i would say what do you what are you calling romance what do you call this thing that happens when we're around each other and the rest of the world ceases to exist and you're like but i don't see you romantically i'm like what are what are you calling romance and uh you were calling like commitment is kind of what you were describing and so i'm like i don't need commitment i'm not close to it if we decided to have a conversation about it but it's not, i'm not like dying for it i just wanted you to admit that you were uh in love with me so i could stop feeling crazy and it was right in front of my face and i didn't see it because i have all these fucking uh when you would say distancing things i didn't know your language yet so you were like protecting me from you but they just felt like confusing because i'm like well you feel this way but then you're telling me you don't feel that way, but it feels like it when we're together. But then also you're very charismatic and a lot of people think they have a connection with you when they've known you for five minutes. So it wasn't until after the pool of rejection phase that I realized you do always come back. You broke most of your rules for me. You've shown me in many ways that I guess uh, now that I know you as well as I do, they don't seem small now. It's not, I don't think we love the same way. I don't think we express love the same way. I also think I'm coming out of 10 years of a very healthy relationship that came in for a soft landing and I don't have any trauma to process from that. So I'm like in a position to, to love in a different way. But I think the ways that you have shown me that you love me and that you've come close and that you've let me into pieces of your life that no one else has come anywhere near and that it has gotten scary and that it has gotten hard and you have always come back. It's huge. I see that it's huge. I know now that it's huge. I wish it felt better. <laughs> you know, I just, I feel, uh, uh, could I have a hug right now? <laughs> like old times. Be careful of my sunburn. I just wish that I, it, I thought that love would feel better. You know, I feel like it just it, it's always so scary, and I don't like any time. I feel like I start enjoying us, and I think about it too much. It, like immediately, like it gets scary, and I get scared again, and I get. Uh, freaked out and anxious and it hurts and it hurts and it hurts to watch you hurt you know those weekends that you had nowhere near as hard as on me as they were on you but like to know that you're going through that was hard on me to be like i'm the cause of this 
you know, or, and I know that I wasn't. Yeah. But I uh, put the onus on the blame on myself, and and I think I looked at all those events, and I was like, okay, well then, yeah, it's not love or something, right? Because Paul Gilmartin uh, says that intimacy is the willingness to have the hard conversations. The people think intimacy is the the romantic shit. He said, but anybody can do the romantic shit with anybody. Oh. It is the willingness to stay when it gets hard. And that the true foundation of love is what you do with the cracks in the foundation. And I think we crush that. I think, I think the attraction yeah. between us forces us to face parts of ourselves that aren't serving us anymore. And uh, we hate it when we're going through a phase where we have to work through it. But we can't stop. I think if there was an off switch, we both would have hit it by now. And I don't think it will be painful and hard forever. But I think while we clear out the room full of baggage. Yeah, I think that um, I like that definition of intimacy. I like that. And it sounds, it rings true to me. And I, I like, I mean, you and I, when we are faced with each other's cracks we uh, lick the shit out of them (laughs) (laughs) we lick the ever loving shit out of those cracks sometimes I wish my dad and that's real intimacy (laughs) yeah but have you licked each other's cracks yet (laughs) they're probably not that intimate you know what I mean you know what I mean? Uh, I think we gotta uh, end it and do show promos and stuff. But like something that's on my mind is uh, the the episode that we called "Breakup" mm-hmm. that we never recorded. And in that episode, I'm pretty sure that was the, where I, I like I made the joke about this is before we had a Patreon, and I was like, "What if in our Patreon, whatever?" Like, because I was like, "People seem to love our sad episodes." Whatever, like the Patreon was just the extra sad shit. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it was like, and you had just pay money. Like, yo, you like that? We will pay us money, and we'll you can hear us cry. <laughs> <laughs> but we never released that episode because no. it was. Uh, but I think now we should we should release it as bonus content yeah. now that. Uh, and we're like, yeah, yeah. You want to hear? You want to hear me and just uh, cry? Yeah, you can listen to breakup. But uh, uh, well, I love you, Jessa. I love you too. Thank you for loving me and helping me love myself. And hopefully, this episode wasn't uncomfortable for you guys. Hopefully. Uh, you guys feel okay about it? <laughs> uh, listen, though, if you listen to all of our fucking episodes and you just don't like the fact that we're in a something, some sort of not just friends relationship, uh, you can go ahead and say that, but stop giving us two stars. <laughs> you can't give us two stars and still listen to our fucking podcast. <laughs> two stars means it's unlistenable. So either <laughs> fucking stop listening or just say what you mean, which is fucking... You that you want to like suck it. my dick. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it's all... It's only... It's all... Like, the, the reviews are only uh, women <laughs> that... 
Is it, is, has it, I mean, there have been... No, the, I get dudes that are like, nobody wants to hear about that shit. I'm like, I don't give a fuck what you want to hear. <laughs> Listen to it or fucking don't. Get fuck. Look, you have the same chance with both of us that you already had, which is that we'll probably still have sex with you. Other than that, <laughs> get fucked. But not... In, I don't, yeah. But uh, I just say, y'all... Uh, Y'all are way more obvious than you think that you are. <laughs> we can hear what you're actually saying. <laughs> like, I, I worry. I worry about Aaron. <laughs> I worry about Aaron. And uh, if. Uh, yeah. He's what get- are you worry about me? Yeah. No one's worried about <laughs> Jessa. I worry about Aaron. With Jessa him crying has, in has cried so much more uh, oh. than I have. Everyone pray for Jessa. <laughs> Pray to the aliens for Jessa. She needs it, man. I'm I'm the one coming out ahead in this situation. But the people, like, the feedback we get is like, is Aaron okay? Is Aaron okay? Because if he's not, um, I have cracks too. <laughs> uh, and we would love to see him. Uh, <laughs> check our calendar for... <laughs> anyway guys uh we love you too and uh thanks for listening to our bullshit and making us feel like we're not too weird we're not alone and all this stuff and uh we'll catch you guys next week on mormon and the method if you put a mormon and a method together this is what they sound like So read our friends, listen to them talking to Mike. It's a good show.